Please take your Bibles today and open to two passages of Scripture, uh, Deuteronomy chapter 5, and then also Deuteronomy chapter 22. I'll read chapter 22, parts of it, later. I've been preaching a series of sermons on the Ten Commandments, and right now we are in the seventh commandment, which is in... Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 18, a very brief verse, which says, You shall not commit adultery. My goal today is threefold. I want to define a broad meaning of adultery. Secondly, I want to explain how Moses taught this law very briefly in a few verses. And thirdly, I want to explain to you how this commandment, or what this commandment concerns, applies to Christmas and the person of Christ. So that's where I'm headed, headed for this in this commandment. Let us begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll give us your wisdom and your insight into this passage of Scripture, and what the deep meaning of this law is teaching, how it applies in all areas of life, and what it even helps us to understand about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ it is during this Christmas season. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, first let me give you a, a definition of adultery. The word adultery is often simply understood simply to mean that it's an act of breaking a marriage vow with somebody else. But let me give you an in-depth definition of adultery. Adultery is whenever you adulterate something. So what does it mean to adulterate something? It means that you mix something together or you combine two things together that should not come together. Or... Let me put it to you this way. If you have something that is holy and pure and you mix it with something unclean, what you've done is that you've adulterated the holy thing. So, for example, if you apply this to marriage, uh, marriage is a holy relationship. It's a holy space between a man and a woman. It's a holy zone that marriage has created between these these two people. And if you take something from that holy zone and you, you unite it to some, someone else, then that holy zone, that holy space has been corrupted, has been adulterated. It's been mixed with something that shouldn't be mixed together. So on a broad perspective, this seventh commandment is about a, a bad mixture or a bad union and when you realize it that way, it opens up, this commandment opens up into a broad, broad area. Because just if you use your imagination, how many wrong unions are out there? How many bad bonds are out there? There may be a bad union that is out of time, not for that time, or out of place, or inappropriate. I mean, just to show you how basic this commandment applies on every sphere of life. Imagine building a house 
and you desire you, you decide that you want to put the kitchen and the bathroom in the very same room. You would never think about doing that because as, as soon as you do that, you have adulterated the holy place where you cook food and where you eat food. OK, so you live in a world where things need to be separate at certain times and some things always have to be separated and then sometimes you have to wait for a certain union or a mixing to come together when it's appropriate. So that's wisdom. That's understanding. That's how the basic uh, God has designed the basic laws of this world and of his scripture. So with that broad meaning of adultery, referring to some type of adulteration, let us turn now to Gen- uh, Deuteronomy chapter 22. And I'll show you where Moses begins to apply this this law. Now before, I jumped ahead of myself a little bit. Before I read to you this part of Deuteronomy 22, let me back up and remind you something. And that is, this law of adultery, Moses applies a lot of this law in Leviticus chapter 18. Now, I don't want you to turn there right now, but I'm giving you a homework assignment. Later today or sometime this week, read Leviticus chapter 18. Because that's one section where Moses gives a full list of all of these mixings of relationships. And God outlaws those adulterous relationships. For example, a person cannot marry an animal. A father cannot marry his daughter. There's all these different relationships where there's a union that God says that is wrong, that is evil, that is outlawed. And it's a list of all this. And you may be wondering, why does God list all those things? A lot of this stuff is disgusting. The answer is, that's what those nations around Israel were doing. That's how they lived. And those are all different ways in which the seventh commandment was violated by those nations. And that's why God gives a full list of all those things. And God says, don't do that. And those are all different ways in which the seventh commandment was violated by the nations around them. Now, what I want to do is turn to a passage of scripture where it's going to create your your curiosity or generate your curiosity. Because Moses is going to talk about some little things and you're going to be wondering, how in the world does this relate to adultery? Well, what Moses is going to do, he's going to take some some plants and he's going to take some animals and he's going to take some clothes. And at this time of history, what Moses wants you to do, he wants them to separate these things so they're not adulterated. And that's going to be the teaching lesson about how he's going to explain to the nation of Israel to learn not to commit adultery. And I want to go through this slowly with you because what we're going to do is see how this made sense in their time of history. And with all this, we'll jump to Christmas soon. First of all, this is where he begins to apply the seventh commandment. Chapter 22, verse 7. I'm sorry, verse 9. Chapter 22 of Deuteronomy, verse 9. He says this, You shall not sow your vineyard 
with different kinds of seeds, lest the yield of the seed which you have sown and the fruit of your vineyard be holy. Now, as you read this passage of Scripture, you're thinking, Pastor Eric, you, you misread this. Because the word at the end of this verse is not holy in your translation. In your translation, it says probably something like defiled. It has been defiled. I'm telling you right now, that's a wrong English translation of that verse. The Hebrew word is kadosh. And every time you read the word kadosh in the Bible, it is always translated as holy. But people misunderstand what this verse is trying to say. And therefore they say it is defiled. You cross out that word defiled. It is actually holy. Now I'm explain to you what's going on here. There is two types of crops here in this verse. There's a fruit crop that grows grapes. And what do you make from grapes? You make wine from grapes. It's the raw material of wine. It's growing in the vineyard. But if you take grain seed like barley or some kind of seed out in the field that produces some wheat, what do you make from that grain? You make bread from grain. And God says at this time in history, do not take the seeds from the field and mix it with the seeds in the vineyard. Because what are you mixing? You're mixing bread seed and wine seed. And you're bringing those two things together. And when you bring those two things together, you're making something holy. And something that is holy, you think maybe thinking, why is this wrong for them to make something holy? To mix it together, to bring it together. And the answer is this, they're not holy enough for it. Stay away from that. This is what you see in the tabernacle. In the tabernacle, the priest could go into the tabernacle and have some bread and eat it. But you know what he could not do in the tabernacle? He could not drink the wine. Do not drink that wine. That's for the Lord. In the Old Covenant, they were not ready for something that holy. You stay away from it. Do you get the figure or the imagery I'm using? Like, for example, with marriage. Two people are in a marriage relationship. That is a holy relationship. Don't touch your hands in that. Don't grab for one of those persons in that marriage relationship. You stay away from that. That's the same thing that's going on here. When they, if they were to mix these things together, the fruit of these crops coming together is making something so holy that they are not ready for it. And this is what you understand. In the New Testament, you are holy enough to have bread and wine, to come to the Lord's table and have the bread that represents the body of Christ. And have the wine that represents the blood of Jesus Christ. It comes together. You're in a holier stage. A holier precinct. Because you're in the new covenant. But that's why Moses is using this in the old covenant to teach them about adultery. Not adulterating the holy places. By not combining 
these two raw materials together. It's too holy for them. That's plants. That's how he's using plants to help them, teach them, learn how to obey the seventh commandment. Now, let's look at another plant law in verse 5. Look at verse 5. He says this, They shall take the gold, purple, uh, gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread. I'm sorry, I'm reading a, long, a very wrong verse in my, in my passage. Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 9. Now look at verse 10. In verse 10, it says this, You shall not plow with an ox or a donkey together. Now, many of you are farmers. What's wrong with putting an ox and a donkey together if you can get these animals together and do this? Well, in the Old Covenant, here's what's going on. The ox is a clean animal. You can bring that clean animal into the temple and sacrifice it, and it's pleasing to God. The donkey is an unclean animal. You cannot take that donkey and sacrifice it as an offering to God. What God is teaching them here is symbolically about keeping the clean away from the unclean. And in the nation of Israel at the Old Covenant time of history, they had to be circumcised. They were a clean nation. They were a priestly nation. The Gentiles... You cannot join the nation of Israel without being circumcised. Okay, so there was a division between those in the circumcised group and those who were uncircumcised. That's how the old covenant worldview understood this. The Apostle Paul applies this same law to the New Testament, not with animals, but with the word yoke. He says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers when he wrote to The Corinthians, there's a bad combining if you yoke yourself in such a way to an unbeliever. Now, yes, it could be marriage, but also it could be some type of other relationship where you are corrupted, where you are adulterated with their influence. So in that context, Paul is basically saying, don't go to Zeus's temple with them. Don't go and worship at the pagan temple with these unbelievers. Stay away from them, don't be adulterated with their influence. So the animal law here is teaching them how to obey the seventh commandment. Let's move on now. And what I want to do is talk about the garment laws. There's two ways in which these garments, their clothes, is going to teach them how to obey the seventh commandment. First of all, before I read verse 11, let me introduce it by saying this. He wants them to wear garments, or or I put it this way, do not wear garments that are made for holy places or for holy priests. Let me read it to you. Verse 11 says this, You shall not wear a garment of different sorts, such as wool and linen mixed together. Here's what he's saying. If you take animal wool from a sheep, and you take linen, which is plants, and you mix it together, you've made something too holy. Do not do that. Do not put that on yourself. That is too holy for you. Now, why do we know it's too holy for them? 
Because whenever you read about the priest and the garment that he wore into the holy place, it was mixed with wool and it was mixed with linen and little threads of gold. He was holy enough to combine those things together in that holy place and wear it. This is actually what the verse I was reading earlier, which I misread to you. This is found in Exodus chapter 28, verse 5. Don't turn there now. But it talks about the fabric of the priest. It says, Take the gold, the blue, the purple, the scarlet thread, and the fine linen to make the ephod. The ephod was a, was a garment that he wore in the presence of the Lord. And it's also made with gold. So you have metal material, and the thread, we know this, was wool, a type of wool, because you would dye it. You cannot dye linen easily. You can dye animal wool and weave it together to make the blue, the purple, and the scarlet. So you take the animal wool, dye it a color, and then you take the fine linen, and you weave it all together. You mix the metal with the animal fabric and the plant fabric. And it's holy enough now because that priest is holy enough. He's going to go into God's holy place where it's all coming together. And even the tabernacle was made with these fabrics of animal thread and linen and all this gold all put together. But at this time in history, God says to the people, below, the people who are not priests, when you make a garment, do not mix these two things. Because his point is, is that you're reaching for something that's too holy. You're actually getting into a barrier that I'm saying is not right for you right now. So God wants them to distinguish those fabrics and not adulterate a holy place. Now, the second law of clothes, and this is the final law I want to talk about here before I get to the Christmas issue is this. Look in verse 12. In verse 12, God says this, Make for yourselves tassels on the four wings, literally it's wings, of your clothing with which you cover yourself. So there was some type of clothing that they would wear, and there was four corners, which the Bible calls wings, and put those tassels on there. Now you may, be, you may be wondering what's so big about this and how does it relate to adultery? The answer is this, and I want to explain you the answer and then, or tell you the answer and summarize it. The answer is this. He wants them to wear this garment that shows that they are more holy than the nations around them. Now, how is this garment and these four tassels showing that they are more holy than all the nations around them. The answer is found in Numbers chapter 15, verse 38. Don't turn there, but that's the reference. 1538 in the book of Numbers. It says this, Make tassels on the wings of your garments throughout your generations. And listen, put a blue thread in the tassels on those corners. Do you remember what I said that the blue thread is made of? The dye? It's made of animal wool. That's how they would make 
that blue thread. So you take a little bit of blue thread, put it into that tassel, and that little mixture right there in that corner of the linen and the little thread of the animal is coming together on the four corners of your garment and it's showing you're holy. You're a holy people. The blue also is reflective of the blue sky, showing that they are a firmament people. They are positioned above everybody else. They're a holy people, but they're not so holy as a whole people that they can combine all this on their clothes and become a priest. In the Old Testament, there were levels and layers of holy places and holy people. And so these four tassels are to show that I have some holiness to be preserved in my position as an Israelite. So you see you're sensitive to what can be mixed together, how much to mix, and what time of place you are in history. Let me put it to you this way as well, as an application before we get to Christmas. Your marriage is holy. It's like that blue tassel. If you're not married, if you're young, if you're a teenager, you're looking to to be married one day, your body is holy. You don't want to mix your body or unite your body with somebody else or something else that makes it unholy, that devalues it. If you start uniting and mixing your flesh with that person and that person and that person, the value keeps getting eroded, adulterated, brought down, unholy, unholy. So that's encouragement there, especially as a young person, to preserve that holiness of your body where God has basically marked you out with that blue tassel. Okay, You're in Christ. And so... That is how you can apply the old law of ancient Israel to the new Israel, the church. Now, how does all this apply to Christmas? Well, the seventh commandment, it outlaws all types of forbidden mixtures. It outlaws unions that will violate something holy. Well, think of this. When Christ became flesh, when God the Son became flesh, What does it mean? We refer to that as the incarnation. And in the incarnation, there's one person, the Lord Jesus Christ, and there is a union in him. There's a union of two natures. He is God. That's his divine nature. And he is fully man. That is his human nature. And here's the mystery of this union. There is no adulteration of either nature. His human nature does not degrade or devalue or contaminate his divine nature. And also, likewise, his divine nature, his godness, okay, his divine nature does not compromise or reduce in any aspect his humanity. He's not half human or half God. He is fully God. He is fully human. That is the mystery of the incarnation. And the church wrestled with this well over a thousand years ago. And they made a creed called the the, uh, Chalcedonian Creed. I'm going to read it to you part, 
part of it to you. And this is in the year 451 A.D. And part of this creed, of the creed of Chalcedon, says this, that Jesus Christ, with His two natures, His two natures are, here's the quote, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of His natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person. My angle in to Christmas through this seventh commandment, you can see that it helps you appreciate the mystery and the beauty of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though there is a union of God and man, of the infinite and the finite, there is not one iota of an adulteration of either natures. Let me answer the so what question. Why is this so important? Why is this heavy theology so valuable? Because you need a mediator. You need somebody to stand in for you in the heavenly courts who is fully human, representing you, but also you need someone who is fully God, representing God. You need someone to bring you to God, and that's what we celebrate as Christians with the fact that God Himself, the Son of God, God the Son, died on the cross, but the only way for God to die is in His humanity. This is why the doctrine of the Incarnation as mysterious as it is, it is the bedrock to the Christian faith. And that any group that denies the incarnation and says, well, he's not really God, it's, it's denying the person of Christ. Any group that says he's not really man is denying the person of Christ. He is fully God and fully man. And that's why we come on Christmas season to worship the beauty of the incarnation. Now, I want to give you another application. Lastly, concerning Christ, not just Christmas, but also Christ. When you think about union, when you think about salvation, the Apostle Paul understands salvation to be based upon your union with Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 6, he says this, Do you not know that as many of you as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? We were buried with Him through baptism into death. We have been united in His death and resurrection. Consider this point. Jesus is sinless, yet He is united to a bunch of sinners. From the logic of that, if, you, if we are joined to Christ and we're sinful, then do we adulterate the Lord Jesus Christ? Do we subtract holiness from His purity? Because He is uniting us, a bunch of sinners, to Himself. And we're in union with Him. Surely we are adulterating Him. The answer is no. Not at all. Why is it? Why do we not adulterate the Lord Jesus Christ and all of His purity and holiness It's because He has declared us righteous. He has justified us. He pronounces His righteousness upon us. That's how He can unite a sinful bride to Himself and and not lose any righteousness or any holiness, bring us into the holy place because He says, my righteousness is now yours. 
He imputes or accounts all of His righteousness to you. So therefore, you stand in the Holy of Holies with King Jesus and there's no adulteration. There's no compromise of holiness. And you, have go in, you can now go into a, a room or a space well, called the Holy of Holies that the ancient Israelites could never even see. Because there was one barrier after another that blocked their vision, blocked their entryway. And only that high priest can go in there. But Jesus Christ brings us in there because he became incarnate. So you can see how the, the full ramifications of adultery or not committing adultery apply not only to marriage. It applies to how you build a house. It applies to your relationships early in life and later in life. It applies to how you can appreciate Christmas and the incarnation and also your union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks for our time together. We give you thanks for your purity. We give you thanks for your righteousness that is accounted to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray, Heavenly Father, that you will give Christians wisdom to, bound, to, to unite themselves to your people, to have good mixture in their life of godliness with godliness. And we pray, Father, for our children and grandchildren. You'll give them wisdom to live in this adulterous generation. And that your word will continually purify us, not only in physical relationships, but also in our worldview, our understanding, and our appreciation of your beauty, beauty and your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.